We're dealing with John chapter 10, not dealing, but listening to God speak to us. I am the Good Shepherd. And this world that we live in, compared to the previous generation, we live in what we call the information age. And the information age is different to the previous industrial age, where information is the premium thing. So the latest discovery is chat GPT. Is that right? Yep. And so some people have Google, uh, have, have put this in, and poems have been written, right? And somebody, a church member said, I put in your name and ask ChatGPT uh, what they know about you. And to my amazement, it knew quite a lot about my life, right? My studies, where I studied, my role here, uh, my days, the time in which I've been here, my wife's name, and um, yeah, essentially different parts of my life. Have you put in your name for ChatGPT? should try it. Not now, after the service. After the service. Maybe a good thing to, to try. And so it said that um, my studies, I did my theological studies at Singapore Bible College, just down the road, and then I did my Masters of Divinity uh, and my higher degree at Trinity Theological College, and then my days, um, I became se senior pastor. Uh, my role as senior pastor, and I became senior pastor in, I think, 2006, and then it said that my wife's name is Priscilla. On that note, for those who are listening, for the record, my wife's name is Mona. So I shared this with Mona, my wife, and what do you think my wife said? Who is Priscilla? <laughs> and there will come a day in which technology will race ahead, and one day you'll be able to track down all your girlfriends and boyfriends. So be very careful what you want technology to know about you. And of course I said, I don't know who Priscilla is, all I know is you, right? And that's very, very important for us to realize. So we are enlightened by the world, and the world that we create is man plus machine will create a paradise, a utopian world. And so what ChatGPT knows about us is what artificial intelligence knows about us. But it will lead us, I say from the start, to a fake wonder of life, to a fake utopian idea of life, to a fake wow and worship, because man plus machine can never imitate Eden that God created and Jesus redeemed with the new heavens and the new earth. So listening to the Lord Jesus about the, the paradise that God offers us, the perfection of life that God offers us, only by believing in Him is the ultimate thing. Technology can take us thus far, but no further. So listen to the Lord Jesus. He says in chapter 10, and you read this earlier, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. And so important always to know when you read the Bible, in the old days, when we, old days, <laughs> about 30 years ago before phones came about, we'll, we'll have standard manual Bibles in every church, ours included. And we would use the Bible and say, come with me in your Bibles to page 42. Come with me in your Bibles to page 704. Come with me, now I have to say, come with me in your Bibles on your phone. And we don't do that because a good number of us struggle with this. And Pastor Roger and Pastor Jason struggle with this, especially in ministering to our youth, not just our youth, but youth across the world. When you get them to look at the phones, are they looking at the Bible passage or looking at something else? So that's why we have to put the Bible passages up in front for you. So if you don't see it there, listen to it, read it. If you're reading, make sure you read God's Word. 
John 9 to 10 is one continuous passage about what? About spiritual blindness versus spiritual sight. The spiritual blindness of God's people led by God's leaders called the Jews in John's Gospel. Whenever you hear the word Jews, the Jews, they are God's leaders. And so in chapter 9, Jesus had just healed a blind man from birth. And the question was, right, of the disciples before the healing, did this man sin or his parents? Jesus wasn't intent to answer the cause of his blindness, neither him nor his parents, but Jesus said his blindness is for the glory of God. Not the cause of it, but the purpose of his blindness will result in the glory of God. And so, on a bigger scale to understand this, from John 5 to 10, they started to have debates about Jesus. And why did they start to debate Jesus as Jesus went to Jerusalem, the headquarters? Because he had just healed a man paralyzed for 38 years, and the only thing Jesus did wrong, does Jesus do anything wrong? The, the only thing Jesus did wrong in the eyes of those who were there was that he healed him on the Sabbath. And so a huge debate raged over Jesus. And then you could have a debate over something but not be divided. But the debate led to division, and the division led ultimately escalated to they plotted to kill him, they plotted to kill him, they plotted to kill him. Think about it on the domestic level. You may discuss things in your marriage, you may discuss things in, with your children, but it doesn't have to escalate to a division, does it? So I was warned many, uh, a few years ago when I was in the UK, if I go there and preach in any church, please mention anything that you want from the Bible, but please do not mention, do not mention Brexit. Because once you mention Brexit, it's not, a, it's not a debate. It's a division. And even the cross of Jesus can't seem to hold Christians together in the UK over Brexit. If, you, if I go and preach in America, the number one name I mustn't mention is Trump. Because Trump is more divisive than Jesus can hold us together. And so you may mention COVID and vaccination in some circles, in some Christian circles, and Christians are totally polarized, and it would seem that the work of Jesus and the blood of Jesus cannot hold us together. It's our different views of COVID. Anything that can divide you is bigger than Jesus and the cross. Of course, this is before the cross. They debated this, divided them, and they thought the only way to settle this problem is to kill him. Have you ever gone to that extreme? The only way to settle this problem is to kill somebody. The world has just been shocked by the death of Abby Choi. I've quoted it in various sermons now. The only way to deal with her is to get rid of her, dismember her, behead her. That's how much venom they had in their hearts against a possible rabbi from a small town. But a rabbi with such distinctive authority in both his words and his works. And so with that backdrop, there was that division, especially in Jerusalem, about him. John 9 to 10, I have to jump the gun, in one sense it's very straightforward. Jesus is the loving good shepherd who saves in context the blind man. The blind man initially doesn't know who he is. And then when he sees and they ask him some more, I think he's the prophet. And finally, when he meets the Lord Jesus, he is the Messiah. The Pharisees then, as opposed to Jesus, the loving good shepherd who heals the blind man, one of the needy sheep of Israel, 
the Pharisees are the loveless thieves and robbers who enslave those who are marginalized among God's people, the lame, the blind, the oppressed, and have no heart as shepherds for them. And God told them, you have to have an extra edge of love for those who are marginalized. And so to understand this, in the thinking at that time, right, the thinking at that time led by the Pharisees and the Jews, the religious teachers, is you keep the law, you are right with God. You keep the law, you will enter heaven. You keep the law. And so I quote from a commentator who gives this, this writing. 2 Baruch 77 verse 16. It's one of those books that was around, Jewish books that was around at the time. It wasn't the law, but hinted at it or pointed to it. And he says this, If you have respect for the law, are intent on wisdom, a lamb will be wanting, a shepherd will not fail, a fountain will not dry up. That's like the literal translation. What it means is, you, you will get eternal light. You will, be, you will get a true shepherd. You get living waters if, if, as a Jew, as an Israelite, if you obey the law. So basically, follow the rules, follow the law, and you will be blessed. And you will inherit eternal life. Jesus comes along and recorded for us in 10 chapters. They say, follow the rules, you have eternal life. Jesus comes along and says, follow me, and you have eternal life. One man against a whole system with a history of God working through the whole system. One man replacing the entire system. And that is why he's the lightning rod at this moment. So now he says, he is the good shepherd. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know, again, what is it in the know? It's oral recognition, audio recognition, not sight recognition, right? They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So it tells you that Jesus' method of teaching at this, mo at this moment is what we call a figure of speech. So it gives a, an illustration from their time. And we are not farmers and we are not shepherds, so we do not know this. You have to understand this carefully, really carefully. Right? Houses, they, households, they will keep sheep outside. And the sheep are kept there by a wall. The wall is, prevent, is to prevent right, predators, and if a thief wanted to steal them, he had to jump over the wall. Sometimes it is just your own sheep. Sometimes as you're grazing elsewhere, you, you lead them into the sheep pen. It's a collection of different flocks of sheep. And then they will hire somebody to be the gatekeeper. And so in the morning, you stay overnight. In the morning, you wake up. You go to the gatekeeper. He must recognize you. And then he lets you in. And then you call your own sheep. You don't call the sheep of others who have left them there. Are you getting the context? It's very, very important that we get this. Right? So it's kept beside the house within a stone wall. 
And one flock of sheep is usually guarded by the owner, the shepherd himself, but multiple flocks guarded by a hired hand. And you need to identify yourself. So the blind man in context here, because it's a continuous thing, recognizes Jesus as the good shepherd, as opposed to all the leaders who had seen him blind all his life in the temple area, but said nothing to him and did nothing for him. Said nothing to him and did nothing for him. Those were the leaders of Jerusalem. Here comes a rabbi from nowhere, right? He's actually a stranger to this blind man, and the blind man's a stranger to Jesus. But this blind man listens to the stranger because in the stranger's voice, he finds the voice of the good shepherd. And so it's very important that we get this right. So again, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. And now he changes that. There's only one door, right? You enter to this door, you exit to this door. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Big word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will be saved. The saved doctrine is very big in John and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. And so it's vitally important that we get this right. Our only modern equivalent, I think, is when you got young children going off to school to primary one. Right? So have you ever dropped your children to primary one? And the first few days or the first week, they allow the parents to the canteen area. That was during my time. So how many of you have dropped your children P1? Right? And can you find the three, four hundred kids? They all dress the same uniform, no? All look like sheep. I mean, all look like children in the same uniform. And you go in there, and you're allowed by the principal to go in there and call out the name of your children. Of course not. You don't call out. They see you, you see them. It was amazing. I still remember looking out for Hanshin and Hanmi when they were young. I walk in there, I look, how am I going to find him? How am I going to find her? And all of a sudden, the eyes meet. Imagine, right, 300 parents all calling out names. Ours is by sight. The shepherd is by voice. Right? And so downstairs, when you drop your kids off to children's church, Sunday school around the world, we call it children's church here, for those who are tuning in, you go in, you, you leave your children, they may, they may suffer separation and anxiety. You come back, you identify the kids. How? Maybe by name, they should know you just by face. But this is audio, right? Oral. It's very important that we understand this. And so, in some places in America, right, when parents break up, and that trend is going to continue across Asia and Singapore, when parents break up, sometimes parents quarrel, and then they fight over who should pick up the children from church. And there have been cases in which they pick them up illegally when there's a court order that they shouldn't. The day may come for us in which we have to do that. And so in teaching overseas, if I ever teach a Sunday school class just once, I need to get a clearance called a blue card. 
just in case, right? so that they know the person teaching them is trustworthy, a good shepherd to children. And so how do you recognize people? Do children know this? Do parents know this? And sometimes, very sadly, when parents break up, one parent tells the other, that is not a person to be trusted. That's the best I can give you for now. One is for your good, the other is not for your good. Jesus is the good shepherd. He exists for their good. And so here's a beautiful picture of trust. Right? How would you describe your relationships? All relationships have description, have characteristics. How would you describe the relationship between the US and China at the moment? Call out an answer. Complete distrust. Would that be right? How would you describe your relationship between your friends in school at the moment? I hope not complete distrust. How would you describe your relationship with your husband and wife as you sit here this morning? I hope not complete distrust, but some measure of trust. How would you describe your relationship with your parents if you're sitting here as a teenager? How would you describe your relationship? This is a relationship of complete trust between the shepherd and the sheep. So two parties, the sheep, are totally helpless. They are lost. They're completely vulnerable. Vulnerable to be preyed upon, vulnerable to be killed. So they need to trust a shepherd. And a shepherd's heart must be good, where he protects them at all costs. And so this is a relationship of ultimate trust. If you trust the wolves in sheep's clothing, you are finished. And that is the language that is used in the Bible. So Jesus, the sheep pen, it moves on. Not just the door. Right? All who came before me, in the immediate context, the Pharisees, and the bigger context is he most likely has Ezekiel 34 in mind, the Lord Jesus. Ezekiel 34 is a warning of the fake shepherds of Israel. Warning to the sheep, warning to the fake shepherds that you who are bad shepherds of God's people, you will not allow, be allowed to go on with this. Right? Your irresponsibility, your lack of love, your lack of care, for people who God put under your care will not go unnoticed and unpunished by God. Jesus, on the other hand, did you notice? He's a two-way gate. He leads them in safely each night, right? For safety, for security. And could we use the phrase, he leads them in for salvation? Then in the morning, he, is, he goes and he leads them out for what? You've got animals, you lead them out to find food. That's why Psalm 23, he leads us out to pastures and to water. Right? So how many of you have kept pets? How many of you, your pets died because you didn't feed them? If you don't let your sheep out, they die after a while. And so you follow the good shepherd, he's concerned for your security, concerned for your provision, this is the Good Shepherd, and that's why the term is, I've come to give you life and give you life to the full. What is this full life? The full life, in essence, when you read all 10 chapters up to this point, he offered living waters. He is the bread of life. 
The full life is life with God. And you can only have life with God, he tells his fellow Israelites. You can only have life with God, not through the Pharisees, not through following the laws. You have life with God by what the law was pointing to me, the Lord Jesus Christ. Life with God. And when you have life with God, it's life to the full. This is the life God created us to have. This is the life God is redeeming us to have. Life with God. So what are some words that might go with this? How do you think the sheep respond to the shepherd? Whenever the shepherd comes, meh. Is it that response? Whenever the good shepherd comes, they will know. Whenever he comes, the association is always good. Always abundance, always food, always drink, always protection. Whether they know it in their brains, but that's the relationship that's there. And so, full life. One of our elders is Elder Sikayong. His mother-in-law passed away last week. And he wrote a short note to us as leaders describing his late mother-in-law passed away. She got converted late in life, like my mother. Came from a Buddhist Taoist background. And upon conversion, her life changed. The father-in-law also got converted, changed. They went to Newton life. And Elder Sikayong's description of his mother-in-law who came to live with him after his father-in-law passed away for 14, 15 years. That's not easy. To look after somebody in your own home, right? There's somebody else. And then you need to have a maid. I look after my mum by God's grace for 22 years. His description of his mother-in-law was, she and the late father-in-law enjoyed going to church, enjoyed fellowship after church, enjoyed outings with church friends, enjoyed doing things. She enjoyed the children, and she enjoyed the grandchildren. In just a few sentences, I pull it out. He used the word enjoy five times. Maybe his vocab is very limited. But let's just go down the other track. Do you enjoy coming to church? This is a church, but tell the truth. Huh? All who enjoy coming to church, hands up. Oh, better, better. <laughs> All who enjoy fellowship after church, hands up. Or do you want, we've tried to create as much space, save as much, and every inch that we have here in this tiny platform, a tiny plot of land that we have here. We've created a green space, we call it the ARPC Cafe. Have you seen that on the side? Every inch of space. So do you enjoy going out and doing things with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you enjoy your children? All who enjoy their children, hands up. All who find their children a pain, hands up. I almost caught you there. Right. All who enjoy your grandchildren, hands up, me. You can't say you know the good shepherd and you know the full life unless you can put joy to that life. There is no such thing as the loveless Christian. I've said this for 30 over years. There is also no such thing as the joyless Christian. And we do not want to be known as Presbyterians, right? The chosen frozen or the frozen chosen. That nothing excites us. Who says you can't be joyful as a Presbyterian? You read, you read Calvin, right? John Calvin. You read the Westminster Confession. The whole duty of man is to worship him and to, and to enjoy him forever. Did you know that? So you must ask yourself after this, do I know the Good Shepherd? Have I experienced a full life? Why is joy so missing from my life? 
And then he said something, right? Elsie Kayong and Lucy, the wife, said something about her mother. She was a natural evangelist. Every person she bumps into, she will keep inviting to church. Keep inviting to church. Those are evidences that Jesus, you're following Jesus and the Spirit of God lives within you, producing in you living waters that satisfy, giving to you the bread of life. And that's very different. Very different to you and me who know Jesus in another way. Is, is there any other way to know the Lord Jesus? We'll come to that in the end. So Jesus versus the hired hands and the wolves. The Pharisees were the hired hands, and they flee and they leave the sheep at the mercy of the wolves. Jesus, on the other hand, he will protect the sheep at all costs. He will lay down his life for them. That is why he is the good shepherd. He is not an employee. And ever so often, I have to remind everybody, right, we do have staff appraisal for our staff. We are employed by the church structurally, right? But we are first servants of this gospel. Our motivation to serve doesn't come from us being employed or our salary. Our motivation to serve because Jesus died for me, rose for me, made me a child of God, works in me. Who am I to draw that mercy, to deserve that mercy and that grace and the love of God? And so this is the fourth I am saying in chapter, three, chapter 10. The third and fourth I am sayings of Jesus thus far. So Jesus said, recorded for us in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world in chapter 8 and 9. And now here, I'm the door of the sheep. And I'm the good shepherd. And then next week, if you come for Easter Sunday, I am the resurrection and the life as he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then John 14, when the opposition against him reaches the climax, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Then in John 15, he tells them he's the true vine, they are the branches. And so who do you think Jesus is? Can we just ponder that? So I preached this last week in Bishan. I want to ask you, if you claim yourself or presume yourself a child of God by believing in Jesus, somewhere along your spiritual pilgrimage and journey, one of these I am sayings, some of these I am sayings, or all of these I am sayings may have ministered to you and, save, <coughs> and saved you. Is that right? When you were looking to satisfy your hunger in all sorts of different things, so I preached here and I saw one of our men from our drug rehab ministry, and he's been in and out how many times? Pastor Jeff just baptised him. Some of them worship here in our 5 p.m. service. Some of them worship at the 9 a.m. service at Bishan. When I speak about that, he knows what it means to run after substances as your bread of life. Somewhere along the line, Jesus being the bread of your life, the thirst of your life, must be the answer. And so you haven't done drugs. But that doesn't mean you are not addicted. All idolatry is manifested in addiction. So some could be seated here addicted to porn, and you think the joy of the Lord cannot overwhelm the joy of porn. That's a lie. That's a lie. 
Somewhere along the line, you must, by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, under the Lord Jesus, break that with pornography once and for all. You set a deadline to your sin. That's how it goes. There are so many doors. All roads lead to heaven. Says who? According to Jesus, only one door is open and only one way leads to God, the true, the living and the loving God. Somewhere along the line, you have to claim the I am sayings of Jesus. And if the I am sayings of Jesus hasn't struck you, you need to ask yourself, am I truly a Christian? Am I truly a child of God? Or I think I'm a child of God. I assume I'm a child of God. I assume I'm going to heaven. One thing you must never assume is that you're going to heaven. You make so much effort to make sure that your child goes to the right primary school. Is that right? It's coming up to that season in which I write letters for our people to send their kids off to Peihua and to Kochuan. Right? You make every effort to make sure that your kids go to the right university, do the right courses. Why can't you use the same intensity and integrity to make sure you're going to heaven? Or is heaven a question mark to be left until the last moments? That is presuming, that is presuming you have a last moment. And this morning I was just talking to our manager and just talking about his friend who just passed away and the friend just passed away while having a meal with his, with his parents and he just slumped over. And he died. You think you will always have time to work out heaven? And you can delay it to tomorrow? No, friends. Today, if you hear his voice, today you respond to his voice. Jesus is the good shepherd. This is who he is. The Old Testament background to this is vitally important. God cared for them through human under-shepherds. From Abraham to Moses to Joshua, and there are just too many to name. God then appointed a shepherd king, David, a man after God's own heart. They chose their first king as Saul. You know why they chose him? Because he was a towering figure. If you chose a king in the ancient world, you chose the most powerful king. But God chose David. And we know the story of David. David faces up to Goliath and kills him with one sling because it is God who fights for David and Israel. So God rebukes the fake shepherds, and I said earlier, Ezekiel 34. And then God promises, because Israel's history will be full of fake shepherds, one day God will offer to Israel and the world a true shepherd who truly loves God's people and will lay down his life for God's people. That shepherd king, you know, is Jesus. Amen? No one is going to love you more. No one is going to care for you more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge, this charge, I receive from my Father. So Jesus doesn't act by his own autonomy. He is in a deepest love relationship 
and their love relationship is characterized by the deepest trust within him and the Father. He trusts the Father, the Father trusts him to implement this salvation, to bring this about at the greatest cost of his own life. And notice this. So trick question, right, as you go on. Was Jesus killed or did he lay down his life? Six people died in Nashville. Were they killed or did they lay down their life? Three of them were nine-year-old children. Three of them were in their 60s. One was a principal. Did they lay down their life or were they killed? They were killed. So I ask again, not as a trick question, was Jesus killed or did he lay down his life? The scriptures present both. For um, Peter preaches in Acts 2, you killed him, but he determines the point of his death. He breathed his last and gave up his spirit. He's not the helpless victim of man's evil and plot. He is in total control. That's why he says if volitional is by will. He will willingly lay down his life. He will willingly raise up. I have the authority because it comes from the Father. And so the Father's love is not dependent on the Son's sacrifice. Get it right, huh? I'm just quoting a commentator. The Father's love cannot be dependent on the Son's sacrifice. He has loved the Son from eternity past. But the Father's love is demonstrated and proven by the Son's sacrifice. In Hokkien, in local terms here, it's in English, right, Singlish, it's double confirmed. La. It's not that the Father's love is dependent on the Son's sacrifice. So if the Son didn't die on the cross, the Father wouldn't love Him. It can't be that. The Father has always loved the Son, the Son has always loved the Father. And when the Son, the Word became flesh, the Father's love for him and his love for the Father is proven and demonstrated by his death on the cross. Think about it. Think about it. We die because, can you fill this in? We die because of old age. We die because of an accident. We die because of a tragedy. We die because of a sickness. All possibly true. But the Bible tells us we die because the wages of sin is death. We die because of sin. But why does Jesus die? There's a because, but Jesus dies so that he rises to be good shepherd. There's no point in him dying if he doesn't rise. He rises to be good shepherd, victorious over Satan's work, victorious over sin, and presenting us as the people of God, holy people of God, to a holy God. So four new truths about Jesus, the Father and Son's mutual love and the mutual knowing of each other. That's what you know about Jesus. This man is not acting autonomously. The accusation against him is, who is this fellow? Everything he says seems to be anti-Sabbath, anti-law, must be anti-God. Far from him being anti-God, he was God in the flesh. Far from it. So the father and son's mutual love and the mutual knowing of each other. The shepherd's death, it is willing, it is volitional, it is intentional. He is not a victim of misadventure. The shepherd will rise again. His death is not the final word. His resurrection is the final word. And because he is risen, you will rise again. He will usher in other sheep, a reference to Gentiles besides non 
the non-Jews will believe. And the theme is, is it so hard to believe that when God created us and now God redeems us and recreates us, is very simply, He will be our God and we will be His people. And the figure of speech given here, He is our shepherd and we are His sheep. Inseparable. So much love, so much trust, so much joy in that. So Mona was sick from, from Monday and so we couldn't go and see our, our grandchildren. Right. And then, um, you know, we got a text from our daughter-in-law. Every time the doorbell rings, Eden now, 22, 23 months, will run to the door, nai nai, yeah, yeah. But every time the door opens, it's somebody else. And she would look sad. When I read that, it melted my heart. Then I finally went on Friday, right? I rang the doorbell, she came, and when she saw me, yeah, yeah. No one has ever greeted me like that in AFC before. <laughs> yeah, some try to avoid me, avoid the pastors. And if you avoid the pastors, avoid the elders, you may be living in darkness, I say that. Uh, could that be you? And I just want to freeze that moment, you know? I just want to freeze that moment. I shared that with Mona and she was jealous, a good jealousy. Yeah, yeah. Right? I just want to freeze that moment. When you experience love, and nothing hinders, nothing separates you. There is nothing to separate you. That's all God wanted from us. He's our creator, we are his, made in his image. He's now our redeemer. Can we get this right? Is it so hard? And he's paid the price of his son for this. Is this freezing this moment for all eternity? Making sure that he will be our God and we will be his people. That's how Revelation 21 ends. Because there'll be no more mourning, there'll be no more, no more death. Death will not be the final word. So we're not enlightened by this world, we're not enlightened by artificial intelligence. We're enlightened by Jesus. What the Father and Son shares in love. What the Father knows about the Son, what the Son knows about the Father. What the Father and Son knows about us. What is it the Father and the Son knows about you? Can you hazard a guess? Everything. He knows everything about you and me. He knows you and me as sinners. He knows us truly, but He loves us fully and forgives us thoroughly. In relationships, the moment you have some sinfulness between each other, you know each other more truly, you love each other less fully, and you forgive each other very reluctantly. God is the exact opposite. He knows you truly, He forgives you fully and thoroughly, and then invites you to be His child forever and ever. This is the God with us theme. And from the moment Jesus said that, you destroy this temple, the temple was the meeting place between Holy God and His people through a sacrificial system. You destroy this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. We will never need to go to another temple made by human hands. Because Jesus in here is both temple, priest, and sacrifice. The shepherd becomes the slain sheep. He will lay down his life. So this is the true wonder and the true wow and the true worship. And so lessons from the two healings. The blind man, right? He confesses belief in Jesus. They were trying to pressurize him. And he said, you give the wrong answer, we're going to throw you out. You give the wrong answer, we're going to throw you out of the synagogue. And then he worships Jesus. This is the sheep 
trusting Jesus at all costs. It's a warning to the Jews. If you believe in Jesus, you will be ostracized by mainstream Judaism. So he's a true shepherd, he's looking for true sheep. Why does the world hate Jesus? The world hates Jesus because people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. And on view here, of course, are the Jews, the religious teachers. But passages are recorded for us as we read this, right? Not so that we become anti-Semitic, become Jew-haters. That you and me sit here and say, if I was there, I would never do this. It's for all of us. We all hate this. The world is happy with Jesus as miracle worker. The world hates Jesus as saviour of our sin. How would you respond if Jesus stopped you in your tracks of watching a porn site? You come here too, you thank God. Or you say, intruding into my pleasure. How would you like it? If, God, if Jesus told you to give up on the non-believing person you're dating, you praise God or you thank Him for sending a brother and sister in Christ who loves you and say, I mean, he's really attractive, she's really beautiful, but you have nothing in common because you don't have Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord. And pray for the person to believe. Pray. Understand this. And so we come and we speak the truth in those circumstances. Jesus is not a doctrine to fight over. Jesus is not a worldview to choose. Jesus is not a topic to discuss. Jesus is not a pole for our opinions. Neither is he a religion to embrace. So we've got to be very careful here, right? As Protestants, etc., when we gather every week. You know, churches split over doctrine. And just in case you think Jesus is a worldview to choose, one of many worldviews, it's a topic to discuss every time you gather for Bible study. So we discuss Jesus. You can discuss Jesus but never listen to Him. You think Jesus came into the world for you and me to discuss Him? Bible study is not studying God, it's God studying us. Examining our hearts so that we will confess our darkness and run to the light. We will confess our lostness and run to the true shepherd. And Jesus is, doesn't exist for a poll for opinion. Who do you think Jesus is? Jesus is the Good Shepherd. That's the offer for all of us. He is the Good Shepherd. And will you respond to Him rightly? The choice we all face is this. If you choose unbelief, Jesus said in chapter 9, you will remain in permanent darkness, permanent blindness, and your guilt, your guilt is upon you. That's how chapter 9 ended. But if you choose to believe in Jesus, you have life, full life with God. All the blessings of knowing the true and the living God, and you have eternal life with this God. So I ask of you and ask of myself. I asked this a few weeks ago. Which road are you on? Are you looking for a reason to believe or a reason not to believe? You know, Scotland has just had a new chief minister and so interesting you ask from the British and Scottish experience Britain is now run by an Indian Scotland is now run by a Yusuf they went for the election and chose, chose him right? you know why? because the previous chief minister and the cabinet were proposing a law in Scotland where 16 year olds 
could decide to begin on transgender change, right, without a medical reason. 16-year-olds, they're going to pass that law. So I'm at all levels, I can't work out my sexuality, and then I don't need to see a doctor or any test, I just have the right to begin on hormone therapy. The British Parliament heard about this, sent signals to them and say, better rethink this. What do 16-year-olds know about their gender? Ask yourself. So looking for a reason to believe or not believe, beware who are your social media influencers. Because parenting now is very complex in our modern day world. The shooting at Nashville, three nine-year-old kids, one of them a principal, the person's 28-year-old, transgender. Was it because she felt traumatized in that school? I have no idea. The investigation is still going on. But there are so many voices conflicting us in this world, giving us the truth about humanity, the truth about my personality, the truth about my sexuality. We listen to those voices and ignore the voice of our Creator, the voice of our Redeemer. We will be messed up. It's so complex. And so we preach the gospel week in, week out. We pray and plead with all our hearts. There is no one who loves us more. No one who loves us more. No one who has forgiven us more. And no one who has offered us a full life apart from Jesus. Is that too hard to believe? Can I freeze that moment over for you? How my granddaughter greets me? Yeah, yeah. Can you say, Jesus? Jesus? So the test of a sheep is your listening. How is your listening? What are you choosing to listen to in a week? If I could look at your phone and you could look at my phone, what are you watching and what are you listening? We listen with our eyes today. We don't listen with our ears. Hearing is not a ear activity, it's a heart activity. And so I highly commend that you have your quiet times. I highly commend that you have your family devotions. If you do not know how to begin, just begin just 10 minutes. Just open God's Word. We have read it a few times. What does it say to me? I may not understand everything, but I know Jesus loves me. That's good enough. That's good enough, don't you think? Then sing a song. We're sending the song list, the playlist for the whole month to you. The songs that we sang that touch your heart. Sing. You will hear the voice of Jesus speaking into your life. You walk with clarity, you walk with confidence that you are safe because someone is always, you're always on someone's mind. Whose mind are you on? You're always on Jesus' mind. Amen? So, yesterday, early morning, got up from my walk. Then, after that, I went to buy bread from SPC. I was walking back from SPC, I saw a lady just pass. You know, PC here, then we cross each other's path at just the condominium just near here. So, as is my standard thing, hello, good morning, right? She barely looked up, she walked past. Then all of a sudden she called me from, Pastor Chris! My goodness, 
Who is that? Not a church member. Then say, remember me? I was trying to remember. I was trying very hard. I couldn't. Say, please remind me. Oh, it's um, your church member invited us and we had a meal together. Yes, yes, yes. A few years ago, before COVID, we did, we did. And, right, and she says to me, you, you look so good. What do I say? You look so good. I always tell the woman, you look good. Right? So since she said that, I said that. Then we said goodbye. I came back. And then it was a Holy Spirit moment as I was closing that small gate as I walked in. It didn't cross my mind to invite her to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Because my mind was preoccupied with settling a marriage problem as I was walking back. Not mine, but somebody else's marriage problem. <laughs> That's no excuse. I bump into a total stranger. If my mind was really on the Lord Jesus, I would have said, hey, come to Good Friday. Come to Sunday. And all the way in was my repentance before God. I'm a paid minister of the gospel. And the last thing on my mind was to invite her. I was preoccupied with people's problems. That's what sheep can make you do, become really problematic. And then you forget to go out and find the lost sheep. Right? Compare that to Elder Sid Kayong's mother-in-law. When she passed away and Lucy bumped into one of the neighbours, said, your mother always invite me to church, always invite me to church. That's one marker that you are a child of God. Amen? In a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a visible reminder of Jesus' good shepherd and we are the sheep. And we want to pray that the fullness of the life that is given us, life with God, life under God, will, con will increasingly grip us. I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward.